So I don't know uh, what your reaction was if you saw the email, the title of the message maybe earlier, like on, back on Thursday, we sent out the bulletin, or maybe this morning you saw Pentecost, and uh, I don't know whether you saw Pentecostal and didn't realize it was Pentecost. Um, maybe some of you are thinking, bring it on, and some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. Um, Pentecost is a word, it's a Greek word, for 50th. Now, the funny thing is, we call it Pentecost Sunday, but the Greeks had nothing to do with it. Uh, this, this started way long before then. You have to go back in Israel's history, back to when Israel was enslaved by Egypt. Enslaved for 400 years, and finally, God's like, all right, now's the time. I want them to go to the promised land. So, and he wants to set Israel free, so he sends Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, and, right? So he sends Moses to him, and he says, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends a plague. And then God says to, after the plague, God sends Moses and Pharaoh, let my people go, No. Another plague. This happens nine times, and every time a plague hits, Pharaoh keeps saying no, 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 na 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 no. And then finally you get to this ninth time, and after the ninth time he says no, and God says, okay, I'm going to send this plague, and it's going to be bad. And, and it's the angel of death. And the angel of death was sent to, in judgment to take every firstborn son of every family that lived in Egypt. But God told the Israelites, if you sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood of your, the lamb, use the, the blood of the lamb and paint your doorposts with that, the angel of death will pass over you. And so that night, all the Israelites did that. They sacrificed a lamb, paint the doorway with the blood of the lamb, and it saved them from the angel of death. All the families where they didn't do that lost their firstborn son, including Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He relents, lets the people of Israel go. So that is Passover, the night that the angel of death passed over those who were saved by the blood of a lamb. Pentecost, where this gets it, is it's 50 days later. There's a clock counting, and it's days well, 50 days later, they're in, they're on Mount Sinai, or actually not on Mount Sinai, Moses is at Mount Sinai, and he receives the law 50 days later. The law was this incredible gift from God to Israel and to this world. How do you live to please God? How do you live to get eternal life? What the law didn't give us was the power to do it, but it told us the pathway towards God. And God instituted on that 50th day the Feast of Weeks, which ended up becoming the, this harvest feast because it was the first fruits of the harvest coming in that they would celebrate every, every year 50 days after Passover. Does that make sense? So it's rooted in this. Passover, people are saved by the blood of the Lamb, 50 days later, God gives the law that shows you the pathway to the kingdom of God. And they celebrate that. And give the first fruits of their harvest to him, the one who has provided this. 
for them. And they've done this year after year after year after year. Fast forward to Christ's life. He's about ready to start his ministry. But before he can start his ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist in that moment declares something that I don't even think he fully understood. Maybe he did. But he declares what? Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Oh, really? See the connection? He couldn't start his ministry until he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on him, and now they're ministering together on this earth. Fast forward to the end of Christ's life. He is being crucified, and if you read all four accounts that talk about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them take great pains to mention this fact. He was crucified Guess what night he was crucified on? Passover. Really? The Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world saves us from everlasting death. Isn't that interesting? There's so much richness in this whole thing. Three days later, he is risen from the dead. And there's a clock that starts right then. We don't know about it, but the clock starts. It's a clock of days. And in Acts chapter 1, it says this in verse 3, Jesus presented himself alive to them, his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 days. So it's day 40, the, the clock's ticking. We, we've gone through day one up to 40, and the clock's ticking. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was crucified, saves us from everlasting death. What's coming? What's going to happen? They're keeping track of the days. There's a reason. God's keeping track. Don't miss that. He's helping us count. So Jesus goes on and he says to them, uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus' instructions were, wait, wait. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so they came together, verse 6, and Lord, one of them asked, or someone asked, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him up out of their sight. Jesus says to them, you need to wait. You need to wait for this gift from the Father. And then he goes on to specify, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come on you with power. 
And he, he uses this phrase, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We, we baptize people. Baptism is this, he's using it as a metaphor to symbolize what it's going to be like. So baptism, somebody comes in and they're completely immersed, covered, get all wet, entire body when they're baptized, right? That's, that's the imagery he's using. And he's saying, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be baptized with power. You're going to be immersed, dunked, wet. Every square inch of you is going to be covered with power. Your entire being. And he says something else. He says, don't, don't go do this. Don't go and do anything. In fact, you can't do anything. What we've learned throughout biblical history is no one could keep the law. No one could do the commandments or the commission of God on their own. We don't have the power. And he's like, don't go anywhere Wait for the power to come. Wait to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So they wait. They wait through these last few days. End of chapter 1, they choose a new apostle because of Judas' betrayal, and then he killed himself. And chapter 2 starts with this remarkable statement. When the day of Pentecost arrived... Uh, really? They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God is intentionally pointing this out. Fifty days later, Pentecost. Fifty days later, the church is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in a liturgical background, you've probably heard of Pentecost Sunday. It's something they celebrate every year. This Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. This Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago, is the day the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers. I'm not going to die for it this day, but give or take a day or two, right? 50 days. Pentecost. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, saves us from death, and now given God himself, filling us, baptizing us with power. power to live for God. God's making a point, he's stressing a point to them, and still to this day, we need power. We need an ever-present immersion in the power that comes from God the Spirit. Uh, Let me just say at this point, Our denomination, uh, we really don't split hairs on terminology here. Power, baptism, filled with the Spirit, anointed, I don't know, sealed, all these words. uh, We look at it and go, look, the the real thing to worry about, the the real thing to be concerned about is, are you 
immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Use whatever your word you want, but at the end of the day, is that your life? We don't care. I mean, I've seen Christians parse and split this word and figure it all out, and yet they have powerless lives. And God's like, oh, I'm so glad you got the words figured out. You missed the point. You have no power. But we got the words right. God would, God would call us to be in this place where we are saying to him, immerse us in your power. Fill us with your power. Seal us with your power. Whatever. Give me your power. There's two descriptive events that come that came with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, wind and fire. Scripture talks about how God has the wind in his hand. There's so many verses about God and wind, and, and, and it's a, the other one is fire, and there's so many verses about fire. Paul writes letter, a, later, a letter to the Thessalonians later, and he talks about don't put out the fire of the Spirit. So there's fire, there's wind, and what is that? That is just a demonstration of force and power to let people know there, there's no doubt or second thoughts. The Holy Spirit has come. You can't manufacture this. But that's not the real story. The real story is that the Christians were immersed in the power of God, all of them, to do what they could not do, which was live for Christ. I mean, you think about it, he says, you're going to go be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the world. How in the world are they going to do that on their own? I mean, these guys who scattered at the first hint of threat there ran. Can't do it. They don't have that ability. The power to witness, the power to obey. And what's interesting is as God comes on them, he enables them to speak in a foreign language that they don't know. See, I think sometimes as we think about our walk with God, we think, okay, I'm just going to obey and do these things. But God's like, no, you don't realize if you really live in my presence and, and receive my power, I want to do things that are far beyond what you think you can do or that you could even imagine. That's what I want to do. Nobody could have imagined on that morning that they were going to be speaking in a foreign language that I didn't even know. That's the kind of power God wants to do. That's how he's going to reach this world, is filling us, anointing us with that kind of power. You, you, I mean, I see this. I think we all see that and go, wow, with that kind of power... Yeah, you could reach the world. Gives them power to accomplish the mission. Baptized in power, filled with power. And of course, as the story goes on, the response, uh, there's all kinds of, of people because all the Jews were coming in because it, it was for them 50 days after the Passover, it was the Feast of Weeks that they were celebrating. They weren't celebrating Pentecost. They were celebrating the Feast of Weeks, right? God's provision, pulling them out of Egypt. 
And so you had, in verse 9, it says you had Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. Yeah, I practiced this a lot before I read that. So um, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabians. And they were saying, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And, and what goes on is some of them were like, ah, just laughing at them, mocking them. They're saying, ah, oh, they're filled with new wine. Well, why would they say that? Well, because it's the, it's the harvest, right? It's the first fruits. It's new wine. They're drinking new wine. They're drunk. Others were amazed and really trying to figure out how is this possible? What is going on? And it's in that moment that Peter stands up and he says, God told you this day was coming. He called this day a long time ago. And he says, let me tell you what's going on right now. And he says in verse 17, he says, it, God said it to the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. And then he fasts forward to the end of time, and he says, Blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter tells him, look, what's going on right now is fulfilled prophecy. Joel talked about this, foretold this, said this day was going to happen, the, that God the Father would pour out God the Spirit on people. No caveats, no exceptions, no rollbacks. And I love this. He says, if you are young, you get the Holy Spirit. If you're old, you get the Holy Spirit. If you're a woman, a girl, you get the Holy He says girl. So it's not just woman, it's girl. If you are a boy, not just a man, but a boy, you get the Holy Spirit. If you're slave, right? He talks about that, servants. Servants get the Holy Spirit. He, he busts through every caste system. He doesn't care about casteism. He doesn't care about sex. He doesn't care about anything. He says everyone will get the Holy Spirit. There's no rollback of this scripture. There's no point where it says, oh, no, no, no. It's only for these certain people. Oh, no, no. It's only just to get the church started, and then he's going to pull this all back. No, he says this is the normal Christian life. From here on out, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will prophesy, will see visions, will dream dreams. They will have the Holy Spirit. You'll never find anywhere in the New Testament where this is unsaid. Nowhere. This is is the normal Christian life. This pouring out of the Spirit does bring dreams. It does bring visions. It does bring prophecy. Not capital P as in Scripture, 
and what you would find in the Old Testament of prophets and that office of prophecy, but lowercase p, as prophecy as in the truth of what is going on around us in our time of need. Wonders, signs, all of this is normal for Christians. This is what happens when people receive the Holy Spirit. Power is released. You know, back in the fall, we had our Holy Spirit weekend, and um, there was a story that happened. I didn't share it because I wanted to see what would happen. Uh, There was actually what I would say was a miracle of healing. And I haven't told the story because I wanted to see if it would stick. Um, Because sometimes healing comes in phases, healing comes in stages. Sometimes there's partial healing, sometimes there's full healing. And I just want to be careful. So there was this gal um, who was here. She wasn't part of our church. And uh, she came in and she has um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, And she got it later in life. Uh, she was just this, she's a mom of young kids, and she used to have all this energy, danced. Uh, that's one of the things she did all the way through grade school, high school, into college. Had her own, wanted to do her own dance um, studio thing, and she started to get sick, desperately sick. She lost her energy, and she was pretty much, by the end, over I think the course of nine months to a year, relegated to bed quite often. And her day became this day of managing, in, uh, managing energy. So it was simple house tasks, simple things like cooking breakfast for her kids. And if she did that and she did something else, it would wipe her out. Like she had no energy. And um, it's part of a church over in Canton. And uh, loves the Lord, been walking with Jesus, had asked for prayer, all these things, and nothing had happened. And so her life was very difficult, and yet she just sensed God saying, I want you to just follow me, praise me in the middle of this. So she came to the Holy Spirit weekend, and we had this time of prayer um, on the Saturday afternoon. And she actually, you know, we had this time, hey, if you want prayer, just stand up. And she felt like, I am not going to ask for prayer. I didn't come here to do woe is me. I came here to like minister and help other people and pray for other people. So she got up to pray for somebody else who was asking prayer. And as she was praying, she sensed the Holy Spirit saying, do you want to be healed? Because she wasn't going to ask for healing. And she's like, well, no, I'm praying for this person. And the Spirit said, do you want to be healed? And she's like, well, well, no, I'm, I'm here to pray. Like, I'm here to like use me to heal people. And she said, I, I heard him say this several times and I was fighting with him. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing I'm fighting with him about healing. Yes, I want to be healed. And she said, in that moment, he said, you're healed. She went home that night and she didn't tell anybody. And because she's like, okay, Lord, if this is you, then I'm healed. She woke up and before she really understood what was happening. She's a half an hour into her day, and she's the old, you know, previous life before sickness. She's running all over the house, doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden she stops and goes, what am I doing? And she starts 
she starts to panic. Like, I've just expended all this energy. I'm going to pay for this. Like, I'm going to, and God's like, will you believe? Will you trust that I've healed you? She's like, okay, I'll trust it. So she just keeps going through her day, goes to church, does everything. She gets home at night, and she's like, her husband's looking at her like, who are you, and what did you do with my wife? And she said, then she tells him the story. I've been healed. And so over the course of that week and the next weeks, her strength fully returned, completely returned. She's back to doing dance classes. She's back to this incredible life. If you could go down to Canton at Whipple Heights Church, you could ask anybody in that church, they would know her and say, oh, she's different. She's different. They would all testify she's been healed because they knew her before and they know her now. And it was the Holy Spirit. Power. He says, don't go anywhere without my power. And when those who claim Christ, the Lamb of God, as their Savior, he promises in Amos, signs and wonders will follow. They will follow. His word said it in Amos. Peter confirms it in Acts. It must happen. That's the normal Christian life. I, I actually emailed her about three weeks ago and I said, talk to me, how are you doing? I said, I, I want to talk to the church about this. Are, you know, is everything still good? She's like, nothing has changed. She says, I am completely restored. Completely restored. God comes in power he baptizes with power. You look at Peter, that's a great example. A guy who, full of boldness, but ran in fear. Denied Christ three times. Now he's standing in front of over 3,000 people talking about Jesus. And he goes on to explain, hey, look, this is what's happened, Amos, and then this is a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. It's Jesus that is the Passover lamb, right? And, and what happened is, I got bad news, you, you crucified him. And goes on to explain who Jesus was. And, and what happens in verse 7, after they hear Jesus' presentation, their hearts, right? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. See, that's, that's the part there where, where when I hear Christians start to roll this back and restrict what the Holy Spirit can do in this day, I'm like, how do you unsay this? You can't. This is for us. This is us. We're really far off. Like 2,000 years far off. It's for us. 3,000 people were added that day. Power of God power of God. 3,000 people believed. 
See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers us to witness. There's no way you and I can do the mission without the power of God. There just isn't. We cannot do it. And I wonder often if that's why we don't do it, because we're not living in the power of God, and, and so therefore, how do we do the mission? When you get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that's going to happen is the mission is going to come to mind. There's people that don't know him. There's people that don't know this. I got to tell someone. That's what happens. But the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for the mission. It's, it's also, it's interesting what happens, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as had any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord added to number. Day by day, those who are being saved. See, the, the power of the Holy Spirit is not only for the mission, it's, it's for living in, it's living with us. I mean, come on. Sometimes we need a lot of power to live with each other. I mean, look around this room. It, it gets real messy. It takes a lot of power to love people. It takes a lot of power to give up possessions. It takes a lot of power to stay committed to fellowship, to stay in it when it gets messy. It takes a lot of power, and that's only God that does that. I think sometimes we underestimate, because we're in it, many of us have been in it for a while, how dramatically different fellowship among the believers is than in this world. It's a powerful encounter. One of the things I love about Alpha is what happens in those circles, they don't know it. It's Christian fellowship. The Holy Spirit's there, and his love is there, and this grace is there, and this mercy's there, and it's one of the only things I've ever seen where someone who is evangelized gets done and says, that was awesome. I mean, how often do you hear that? Someone says, wow, that was a really bad experience. I mean, that's what you normally think. You have people say, I want to come back. People who don't even follow Christ, I want more of that. Give me more of that. What is that? That's just the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through people, loving people, people cooking amazing food. Like who does that? Sacrificing every night. Back here in the kitchen, these amazing chefs talk about a spiritual gift. I'm not sure if it's in there, but it should be in there. The, the gift of making cheesecakes is definitely within the word of God. It, it's in there. I'm just still trying to find it. Um, you have to come to know the cheesecake factor. Um, It's real. A.W. Tozer once wrote this. Before we can be filled with the Spirit, the desire to be filled must be all-consuming. It must be, for the time, the biggest thing in life, so acute, so intrusive as to crowd out everything else 
the degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly, matches up perfectly with the intensity of true desire. We have as much of God as we actually want. We have as much of God as we actually want. Do you have as much of God as you want? Is your want pretty small? Like, you're okay with this much rather than saying this word that goes over and over and over again in Scripture, the fullness, the fullness of God, the full measure of God. Have you ever just begged and kept on begging, Lord, give me more? I want more. I want more of you. I know some of you come from backgrounds where they, you know, believe in the Holy Spirit, but hardly ever talked about the Holy Spirit, warned about the Holy Spirit. And and so this is kind of new to you. And there's a lot of hesitancy and fear and just that's kind of where you come from. That's your background. Um, And God's inviting you. This isn't Pentecostal Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. This is for every believer. And some of you come from Pentecostal backgrounds and you've seen the extreme on that side, what people will do to chase after signs and wonders rather than the Holy Spirit himself. And so you're like, yeah, don't go there. And you're trying to untangle that mess. I get that. But what if today it could just, it could just be about you being immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let him script it. Anyone need power today? Anyone facing anything that you go, I can't do it? Struggling to serve struggling to even come week after week, struggling to be in fellowship, struggling to come even through those doors, struggling, I don't know, don't, struggling to even share your faith. You need power, and that's the Spirit. So we're going to spend some time. As I read this, as I read the New Testament, there, there's this moment here where the Holy Spirit just does it. They're praying and the Holy Spirit falls on them. There's other times where God says, I want you to come forward and I want you to go to someone and ask for prayer. There's times where God sends people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and power, who have, uh, have his anointing and power, and he's saying, I want you to go and pray over them so that they would receive more power. I don't know what is supposed to happen here this morning other than God is inviting us to come to him and say, would you immerse me, fill me, touch me with your presence and the power that comes with you? We have a prayer team. Our intercessors are down here. If God's saying to you, I want you to go ask someone up there for prayer, 
that they would just pray this. This is just about praying the Holy Spirit on you. You better do it. If God's sending you to go pray for somebody, go do it. If God's saying, I want you to stand right there and receive power, do it. And we're just going to have a time where the, where the Lord leads this. We've got a few minutes. I invite the team to come up. We're just going to see what, what God does. We talk about expectation without agenda. Fully expecting God to move. I, I don't know what this is supposed to look like other than I know Holy Spirit can move. He can touch people who aren't even coming, right, to be touched, but want to help others, and he'll speak into that. God's, God's so good.